As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Michael, I want you to do something for me. Okay. All right. Close your eyes. Get get real relaxed. Get uh, get very comfortable, and imagine that you're going back in time—a time to say you were a tween, maybe like 12, 13 years old. Okay, that's very specific. <laughs> but uh, all right, I'm with you. All right, good. And since you're 12, 13, that probably means you are having a sleepover. Let's say a sleepover with your best friend, and your mom is taking you guys to pick up the pizza. Of course. If you're going to have a sleepover and you've already got the pizza, you got to get something else. So you're on your way to get one thing. Okay. I can actually feel the anticipation at this point. <laughs> Good. That is the point. So my question to you is, where do you go? What is missing for your sleepover? Ah, one place. Well, if we're having a sleepover, we're staying up very late. We've already got the pizza. So yeah, there's one obvious stop that we need to make. 
And what's that stop? We got to get a couple movies. Blockbuster video. Wow, what a difference. Ah, Blockbuster video. Yeah, that's it. Definitely would have made a stop there. It's a stop that a lot of people would have made, right? And and did make. I mean, video rental stores were one of the most successful local businesses of the 1980s and 1990s. And Blockbuster, that was the behemoth. They had over 9,000 yeah. stores throughout the world. And uh, is it? fun now to be able to take your kids into Blockbuster and let them experience that same feeling of anticipation that you had during that sleepover? Um, well, no, I mean, there's no Blockbusters left. <laughs> oh, right. Well, I guess that's why we're here, isn't it? Today, we're going to talk about the rise and dramatic fall of Blockbuster in this episode of Rocketship.fm's Product Failures. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So today we're talking about Blockbuster as a thing of the past, a little piece of nostalgic history. And really, that's what it is today. I mean, what once was a business valued in the billions, employing tens of thousands of people throughout the world, it's now really just a distant memory. All that's left are the stray used DVDs that we still might have in our cabinets, which we bought off the clearance rack, or memories of those late night visits with our friends there at the right person was working. Maybe we were even able to get that R-rated movie that our parents wouldn't let us have. <laughs> and of course, there are the archived commercials like this one. Nobody has the movie I want. Hey, if it's on video, Blockbuster probably has it. I mean, we have over 10,000 videos. Wow. I'll watch these fast and have them back tomorrow, I promise. Relax. At Blockbuster, you can keep your videos for three evenings, so take home plenty. And, and use our 24-hour quick drop. Do you have any children's videos? Blockbuster's America's family video store. You know, we have more kids' videos than any place else. Hey, more movies, more nights, more fun. Blockbuster video. Wow. What a difference. It really was such an iconic business. The revenue, the number of employees. Yes, it was impressive in terms of size and scale, but it was more than that. It really was iconic. It was this slice of Americana personified. Yeah, it really was. Of course, with was being the word to emphasize, right? Yeah, yeah, it doesn't really exist anymore. Well, I mean, it sort of still does, but we'll get into that later. But that big blue and yellow neon sign certainly isn't hanging over the corner of most American main streets like it was just really a couple decades ago. No, but let's rewind a bit back to a time where it was. I mean, before we could talk about the ultimate demise of Blockbuster, we should probably learn a bit about how it rose to epic proportions in the first place. Sounds good. Well, in that case, we ought to rewind. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. <laughs> Back to the early 1980s when entrepreneur David Cook decided to invest in a Texas video star chain. Blockbuster Video. Actually, no. Oh, right. That's right. Because before there was Blockbuster, there was... VideoWorks. VideoWorks was a Texas-based chain of video rental stores. And at this point in the early 1980s, there were other chains that had been established as well. And certainly other independent shops. And David and his wife, Sandy, happened to invest in one local franchise, mostly due to Sandy's interest in video. Yeah, David didn't have any experience in the movie business, whether it be video rentals or even entertainment. He operated a software company that served the energy industry. Video rentals and energy companies? 
It doesn't really go together, but... No, you wouldn't really think so, but as we'll learn, history will repeat itself a bit, and that combination will actually appear once again in this story. But first, yeah, back to David and Sandy. Now, they bought into their first VideoWorks location in Texas until something happened that threw off the entire plan to operate this location. What was that? VideoWorks didn't like the original concept of the interior that David and Sandy had, featuring bold blue and yellow colors. Okay. Okay. And the whole deal was scrapped. Wow. Apparently, yeah, I guess blue and yellow, like that was a deal breaker. They needed the blue and yellow. Wow. Well, uh, okay. And and eventually they did get that blue and yellow because they decided to open up their very own store, what we later knew as Blockbuster Video. That's right. That first store opened up near Dallas, Texas back in 1985 with 10,000 VHS and beta tapes. That store was really successful and they started opening up more and more locations. They even built a $6 million distribution warehouse to help support the growth and allow them to continue to open up new stores. Within just a couple of years, there were already 19 stores in the Blockbuster empire. And then came along Wayne Hazinga. The king of trash. I don't think anyone has ever called him the king of trash. (laughs) All right, no, maybe not. But he was the founder of Waste Management, which ended up becoming a a massive you know, Fortune 500 company. And actually, he also founded AutoNation before that too. Um, Both were actually multi-billion dollar publicly traded companies in the Fortune 500. And so Wayne was actually an incredibly talented and respected business person. Here's the late Wayne Hazinga himself on buying into the blockbuster business, telling a story at the Wayne Hazinga School of Business at Nova Southeastern University over a decade ago. Well, let's talk about Blockbuster. This kind of shows some things about how you you take a look at businesses. My friend John Milk and I worked at Waste Management together. We both retired about the same time. And uh, and, uh, he called me in November of 86, and he said, boy, I got to tell you about a store. I just just financed a young fella who opened a video store called Blockbuster. He said, Wayne, this is your kind of deal. I said, nah, video stores. You got to be kidding. I did not own a VCR. I had never been to a video store. Uh, you know, ne- never rented a video. They call me a visionary, but I tell you, you know, my friend John would call me every week and say, Wayne, you got to see, you got to look at this. You have to look at the store. You have to look at the store. So I said, okay, okay, fine. So walked into Blockbuster. Wow, this is something else. You know, big story. And wow, this, I, this is completely different. And so we uh, poured through a bunch of financials. They're all projections because they only had one store. So I looked at all the projections they had. We determined that uh, if those numbers were only half right, it was a heck of a business. We bought about 65% of the company. And under Hazinga's management, Blockbuster thrived. They made plans to expand nationwide, and they did so in a methodical, organized way. We paid $32 million for that company, or that's what the market cap was we bought in. And seven years later, we sold it for $8.5 billion. That's a B. Over the next six years, Blockbuster opened a new location every 16 hours. They also began buying up the competition too. Yeah, making acquisitions of other video-focused retail and rental businesses. Business was very, very good for Hazinga and Blockbuster. Although there came to a point where in the early 90s, there was a threat that began to emerge. Netflix? No, 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 not yet, not yet. Not yet. That's later in the story. We'll learn more about this threat and what Hazinga ultimately did to address it right after this break. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or 
invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And, backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Now, back to the show. In the last few years, the retail business has become increasingly competitive. More and more retailers have been struggling just to stay alive. The survivors follow a simple formula, listening to their customers and meeting their expectations. That's not a formula for success. That's a formula for survival. Some retailers, however, not only survive, but thrive. These businesses listen to their customers, but then they take what they learn one important step further. Instead of simply trying to meet their customers' expectations, they attempt to exceed them. Their goal is to build and maintain strong customer loyalty, to attract new customers and keep our existing ones. Our goal at Blockbuster is not just to satisfy customers, but to delight them. That video clip, it sounds a bit dated. Yeah, well, a lot of the clips we're playing here are. And honestly, I am all for it. This trip back in time, like I am loving this. Anyway, the the clip we just heard was from an old Blockbuster training video aimed at employees to help them brush up on customer service. And at least through the early 90s, where we left off in the story, videos like this must have been working. Business was booming and Blockbuster had become an iconic brand, firmly placing itself in the everyday lives of pretty much everybody. Yeah, but Wayne Hazinga did see some writing on the wall that the good times might be soon coming to an end, or at least would be a lot harder to maintain. And it had nothing to do with the internet yet, but instead a different kind of medium that was developing, cable. Ah, cable television was becoming more advanced with features like video on demand on the cusp. And this was a real threat to Blockbuster. In fact, at one point in 1991, Time Warner announced all sorts of technological advancements that they were making. And Wall Street saw that as a very bad thing for Blockbuster. So bad that its stock immediately dipped over 10%. Yeah. Over the course of the next two years, Blockbuster came up with all sorts of ideas to combat this threat that was beginning to develop. They considered acquiring a cable company of their own, but those plans got scrapped. Um, They even considered developing entertainment centers and amusement parks. But ultimately, they decided to do something else. Like? Like selling the business. Mm. In 1994, mass media conglomerate Viacom acquired Blockbuster for $8.5 billion, which considering the $35 million valuation that the business had just a few years prior, seemed like a pretty darn good outcome at the time. But Viacom thought there was an opportunity. There were risks for sure, but with its mass media power, it could develop Blockbuster into being even bigger than it already was. And it started to make new kinds of investments. In 1998, Blockbuster created a movie production company and began acquiring films for exclusive distribution through Blockbuster. Yeah, that's right. Which now a big part of the Netflix and Amazon playbook in acquiring and creating exclusive content like that is actually a thing of the past. I mean, Blockbuster was doing that back in the 90s. 
Around that same time, though, Blockbuster's new CEO, John Anioko, was approached about a deal. DVDs were the new medium of choice when it came to video, and Warner Brothers gave Antioko and Blockbuster an exclusive opportunity. Blockbuster would have the exclusive rights to offer DVD rentals of new release movies before the general public could get access to them. All Warner Brothers would want in return was 40% of the rental revenue, which, to be fair, was the same deal they had with VHS. And Antioco said? He said no. He turned down the deal, and as a result, the studios dropped the wholesale price for DVDs. What was at one time priced as a premium in order to help the video rentals thrive, DVDs were now priced more competitively at retail. You could still rent movies for a few dollars, but it's just a few dollars more. You'd actually own the DVD outright. Yeah, and in fact, some retailers would use DVDs as a loss leader, pricing them under the wholesale price so consumers would come into the store and hopefully buy other higher priced, higher margin items. In fact, after the, all this happened, another company ended up becoming the number one source of income for movie studios. It wasn't Blockbuster anymore. It was. <laughs> We're rolling back prices all over the store to save you even more. Always low prices, always Walmart. This reduction in wholesale pricing and giant competition from a mega company like Walmart, whew, this made all things very, very difficult for Blockbuster. Yeah, and it wasn't the only competitor that was eating a Blockbuster. There was also this little startup company that was just beginning to emerge in the late 90s. A company founded in Scotts Valley, California with just $2.5 million in startup capital from one of its co-founders. That's right. A company founded on the premise of eliminating a very big annoyance that people who rented movies would deal with that pesky late fee it made me think i can't be the only one who is struggling with this late fee thing and just started me thinking about the internet and dvds um and how uh, something could work without late fees that voice was reed hastings the co-founder of netflix in an interview about the beginning of netflix which was founded in 1997 so it was at this time where blockbuster was getting beaten up by walmart where netflix almost quietly began nipping at its heels and it's funny to think of Netflix nipping at another company's heels, but it wasn't even seen as a legitimate competition at the time. It really was just a fledgling startup. Yeah, that's actually true. I mean, in its early years, Netflix was really just a mail-order DVD rental company. I mean, it didn't start off as a subscription business and certainly didn't start off as being able to stream movies on demand, but it was the new kid on the block. You actually got a chance to talk to somebody about one of their first interactions between Netflix and Blockbuster, right? Yeah, I did. I recently sat down with Shelly Archambault, who now is a board member at Verizon, Nordstrom, and elsewhere, uh, but was actually the president of Blockbuster.com for about a year, beginning in May 1999. And I don't have the audio to share from our conversation, but she recalled a story to me about Reed Hastings of Netflix pitching an idea to her and the management team at Blockbuster. Yeah, and what was that idea? Idea. Well, the idea was basically Netflix. I mean, it, at least the way we know it today. The the general pitch was, hey, we are Netflix and we're a technology company. You are Blockbuster, a consumer brand that people love. Let us as Netflix power your online business. And by powering, we could both grow and thrive. And Blockbuster said no. They said no. In fact, Shelly's boss at the time, Blockbuster's CEO, John Antioco, said, Shelly, if that company ever becomes anything, we'll just buy it. And that was that. 
I'm sure Blockbuster was thinking that they were the big, powerful company at the time, and they, they were. They had a lot of leverage over a tiny startup like Netflix, but things move fast. Sometimes you can think you have an opportunity to acquire a smaller company, but they grow so rapidly that you never, ever get a second chance. And actually, Blockbuster did get a second chance. Wait, they did? Yeah, but we should probably take a quick break first, and I'll explain more. So you're saying that Blockbuster actually did have a chance to partner up with Netflix again? Yeah, not only that, but they actually had a chance to acquire Netflix outright. Uh, I'll let Mark Randolph tell that story. Mark co-founded Netflix along with Reed Hastings, and he tells the story in this interview on an episode of On The Money on CNBC. This was right after the crash of the dot-com uh, uh, bubble. Um, and we decided we had to sell ourselves to someone, and Blockbuster was the obvious person. And when they asked how much, uh, we said $50 million, and they basically laughed at us. So Netflix could have been had for just $50 million? Yeah, which, of course, is peanuts compared to the Netflix value today, which, you know, just $146 billion. Whew. So, yeah, that was a critical mistake for Blockbuster. Although, in the eyes of Blockbuster, they didn't need to acquire Netflix because they were about to introduce a video on-demand service with another partner. And they were very, very bullish about the partnership. <laughs> and who was that partner? Enron. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Enron, the energy company, the one that went bankrupt because of accounting fraud committed at literally historic proportions? Yeah, that very same Enron. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I don't get why Enron. Well, Enron was an energy company, and they were known for oil and gas, but they also did offer broadband services. Um, here's a clip from an analyst's conference back in 2001, which explains the partnership between Blockbuster and Enron a little bit. It, it, it's a little dry, but it does have some pretty sweet background beats. <laughs> the Enron Intelligent Network, or EIN, is built to transport secure, high-quality broadband content. What makes the EIN particularly interesting to content providers is that we can deliver content not only to PCs, but also to television. That means that the content providers who traditionally broadcast their programming can now distribute their high quality programming in a digital format. Enron is well positioned to attract content providers as customers. We have the network, plus we have Enron's unique commercial capabilities. This combination enables us to structure flexible solutions for our customers. And they have some pretty creative accounting methods as well. <laughs> they, sh they sure did. Well, I'm guessing I can guess how well this partnership played out. It actually never even happened. Uh, the movie studios ended up pressuring the partnership to fall apart before it ever even launched. They said that Blockbuster never even really had the rights to do what they were trying mm -hmm. to do with video on demand. And those creative accounting practices at Enron <laughs> that... Uh, they were ultimately called out for, it actually all started with this Blockbuster deal. Like people started oh, wow. asking questions about Enron's accounting methods and ultimately the whole deal unraveled and helped lead to the bankruptcy of Enron. Oh, and for Blockbuster? Well, it continued to scramble. Coming up with some different ideas, uh, it put a lot of money into a new campaign called Total Access, which was essentially its online presence. Blockbuster Total Access would allow you to order your DVD online and then let you return it at the Blockbuster location near you. And when you did, you'd get a free movie rental right on the spot. Here's an early commercial for that program. At Blockbuster, we're not just doing online movie rental. We're doing it better. With unlimited movie rentals to your door in about a day or two. Over 50,000 titles. And with Blockbuster Online, you get something no one else can give you. A free in-store rental 
every week, whenever you want. That's 52 free movies a year. You'd better get watching. Plans start at just $9.99. Sign up today at Blockbuster.com and start getting movies delivered to your door. Plus free movies at your Blockbuster store. Okay, I mean, that program sounds interesting. Yeah, it was interesting and expensive. Uh, so expensive that one of its activist investors, Carl Icahn, started a campaign to put a nix on the program. And not only that, but actually oust Blockbuster's CEO as well. And soon after, John Antioco was replaced by James Keyes, the former CEO of 7-Eleven. And Keyes kept trying to right the ship. Uh, he talks about some of the ideas here in a segment on Bloomberg soon after he became CEO. Well, the key is actually transformation. And I guess we are the granddaddy, but we're also the new kid on the block in many ways because we're, we're going multi-channel, getting out of the box, if you will. So it's not just about being your favorite corner video store. Today, it's about making our content available anywhere, anytime. So we have... New, brand new Blockbuster Express kiosk coming here to New York City, for right, example. Right, I think in a Dwayne Reed's or something like that. Exactly, yeah. exactly. A new level of convenience. We have uh, uh, DVDs by mail, uh, similar to the way Netflix provides their service. And then uh, also, more recently, Blockbuster On Demand, with Blockbuster Movies as convenient but, as a button on your remote control. But, 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 but the kiosks, Redbox is already doing it, right? And the, the DVD rental and video on demand those were, you know, Netflix made a name brand doing that. Yeah. I, at this point, Blockbuster was really sort of a me too company, mm. but one with a massive geographical footprint, which helps for visibility, but really, really hurts when it comes to the bottom line. In fact, Blockbuster went from being a very profitable company to one where it was experiencing losses year after year until it just couldn't bear it anymore. In 2010, it had nearly 6,500 stores worldwide. And by October of that year, had over just half that number. Ooh, that year was brutal for Blockbuster. It started with PricewaterhouseCoopers issuing its audit opinion, disclosing a lot of doubt about whether Blockbuster could even stay alive as a company. And sure enough, later that year. Right now, everything must go in every Blockbuster store in the city of Grand Rapids. The company filed for bankruptcy six months ago, and now it's closing up shop in the city. 24-Hour News 8's Crystal Hilliard spent the evening in East Town at the Blockbuster there. She joins us live. Crystal? Susie, when Blockbuster originally filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy about six months ago, it said it would keep all 3,300 stores open. But tonight, as you can see at this East Town store, it just could not survive. Yeah, we kind of college kids were broke, so we can't really afford Blockbuster. Although these three roommates live right around the corner from this East Town Blockbuster, the night they find out it's closing, they made their first trip here. It's not that they don't rent and buy movies, it's that there are so many other options these days. It's easier for us to go to like Redbox now and pay a dollar for a night as opposed to like paying five, ten bucks for two nights when you're only going to watch it once. With Netflix, you can still get it sent right to your door as opposed to uh, driving a couple blocks. And since those competitors have gained popularity, Blockbuster's been on its way out. The company's closed hundreds of stores nationwide in an attempt to bounce back from Chapter 11 bankruptcy filed six months ago. I was driving by and I saw the signs for the sale, so I stopped in and then I picked up my two roommates. Super Troopers. So now Grand Rapids shoppers are racking up the deals. Movies on sale for cheap. Even the racks and pictures used to decorate all now up for grabs. That was a segment from Wood TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And really, that was it. I mean, that was the beginning of the end for Blockbuster. 
that Grand Rapids location shuttered in 2011, but there were still some locations in operation for a few years after that. Yeah, bankruptcy didn't necessarily put the final nail in the coffin. Blockbuster was actually acquired by the Dish Network for over $300 million in April of 2011. They had planned to keep a few hundred stores open, but transformed Blockbuster into a true Netflix competitor, taking the fight online. September of 2011, Dish would launch Blockbuster Movie Pass. Not to be confused with the more recent Movie Pass as a movie streaming subscription business. It was only made available to Dish Network subscribers and it was shuttered in about a year. Yeah, by 2014, all 300 of the corporate owned blockbuster locations that existed were closed. Some people still own some franchise locations, but one by one, each of those started to close shop as well until there was one. And that's actually all there is today one location in Bend, Oregon. Here's Bijan Stefan of The Verge talking to Sandy Harding, the owner of the last blockbuster video store in the world. There's a place for both. There's a place for Netflix and Hulu and Amazon, and there's a place for this. And I think that we finally found that comfortable spot. And so I think that people are starting to realize that coming in here, picking up a movie, walking around, talking about movies is something that people miss. It's hard to find spaces where the point is discovering things or the point is being around people who like the same things as you. The employees at this store care about movies, and more importantly, they care about sharing them with people. I mean, just look at the section of employee picks. It's updated regularly. Prometheus is a really cool sci-fi movie. It's actually based on the Alien series. Another one, Requiem for a Dream, is great. The employee showing me around the store is Sandy's son, Ryan. This is actually completely edited on a software that's totally free for anybody, which is uh, DaVinci Resolve. As we move toward these digital spaces, we lose the expertise of people like Ryan. You can walk down the aisle and have a movie jump out at you, or you can ask someone for a recommendation. You definitely walk in and you will be looking along the shelf and then next thing you know, you see something that might catch your eye. It's not something that's just right on the screen. My kids can wander around and a lot of times they're picking out movies that wouldn't be as popular as others. Sometimes I come in and I just want to, I feel like seeing a movie and I don't know what it's going to be. And sometimes I walk out of here with like five totally different genres. And that is that, the demise of Blockbuster. Although, again, there is that store in Bend, Oregon. And would I be crazy to say that lone Blockbuster actually sounds really interesting? No, not at all. Uh, look, there is a place for some sort of curated experience, which sounds like the last Blockbuster on Earth actually offers. Um, in fact, you might be interested in learning that there's an upcoming documentary called The Last Blockbuster, and it's all about that shop in Oregon. Yeah, I'm definitely checking that out. <laughs> Same. <laughs> and, you know, I, I can't wait to watch it with my kids because while it makes me feel old, I find myself often browsing Netflix or Disney Plus or, you know, whatever, mm. and saying something like, you know, when I was a kid, we'd we'd <laughs> have to walk through a store and find the movie we wanted to watch. And the concept of having to do that is so hard for my kids to comprehend. Well, Blockbuster's dead, but maybe just maybe in some sort of nostalgic comeback of the video store concept, you could actually show them one day, Mike. You know what? I sure hope so. Thank you so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. It's your support that keeps the show going. Rocketship.fm is now part of the Podglomerate Network. If you want to learn more about the other shows on the Podglomerate Network, go to thepodglomerate.com. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective, a community for product people. If you go to productcollective.com, you could check out live video interviews, sign up for our newsletter, be a part of our Slack group with over 6,000 product people. Just check it out at productcollective.com.